Whoa, right? You you okay right now? Uh, I I don't, <laughs> I don't feel too good. Man, you you okay? Uh, Levi, hold my hair. Uh, <laughs> oh oh god, it's in my shoes. It's in my shoes. Welcome to Lucidity, episode seven. I'm Ryan Muskin. Um, Levi Rainey. Levi's no, Levi's not drunk, but he's good at pretending it. But uh, yeah, that's a good intro because today we're talking about that drink, the golden, the liquid gold. That liquid go go. We're talking bubbly. We're talking about um, what do you call? I don't know any other nicknames for alcohol. What do you do? You do you um, Mister Drink? I know people call it booze that's <clears throat> yeah booze i'm like hey what's up hello it's so pretty to cup on the counter and i'll pull there it is i'll pull, yeah. pull that drink down the sink and then you'll and go, go out onto the curb where i'm taking off your shows because you f- drunk and we gonna let go <laughs> get out with my baby baby i'll be in your quick you get me out with my baby uh, it. Yeah, just bleep it. Keep that, but bleep it. I'm keeping it. Cool. Today, we're talking about that drankity drank drank drank. Yeah. Because <laughs> I like to talk like that. And it's interesting because alcohol has a lot of misconceptions surrounding it. For instance, Levi. I have no, good, I have no good jokes set up here. I just started this talking. Is, that's fine. We can just go and continue uh, it. No, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dive into this right now. St. Patrick's Day just happened a few weeks ago, and a lot of a lot of beer was purchased um, here at the University of Dayton, where I am at. Uh, is pretty tradition. It's a pretty big tradition for everybody to like flood the streets. Not literally flood, but everybody crowds in the streets and like riots. Essentially, there was a lot of alcohol here, <laughs> and there was uh, a lot. Of- <laughs> But to be more specific, 13 million pints were consumed in the U.S. on March 17th this year. That's a lot. That's almost of pints. 14 million pints. <laughs> it's only short of one million. Now nah, let me tell. <laughs> and I think that's crazy amount of alcohol. It shows you how big it is in our lives and how big of a role it plays. But it's not as big in America as you'd think. I'd say it only makes up about 0.08 percent of our lives. <laughs> hey, Good high one. five. Good Boom. one. Yeah. Hey. High five himself. We're not in the same hey. room, <laughs> so you guys know. Hey, uh, yeah, countries. Yeah. So I'm gonna do a little thing here called the numbers. The numbers. Numbers. The family event of the numbers. <laughs> Disney Pixar's Numbers Inc. We're gonna start with the countries that consume the most alcohol annually. The USA is not on the top 10 list. In fact, the USA is number 23. What? Order of countries that number consume... Number one. Austria. Number two. <laughs> Estonia. Number three, my lord. Fran- <laughs> France. Cuatro. Ireland. We got number cinco, y'all. That was bad. Czech Republic. Is that racist? <laughs> Six. <laughs> Hungary. Seven. Luxembourg. What's number eight, Ryan? Um... Ironically, Germany. It's Germany, huh? That's it's cool. Not like Oktoberfest? Yeah, like October. Yeah, that's number eight. That's cool. And that's eight followed oct- by octo- octo- seven, eight, eight nine is Slovenia. 
I bet number 10 is Denmark. I bet you number 10 is Denmark. Uh, You just won the bet because it's Denmark. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the top 10 countries that consume most annual alcohol. But to continue with the numbers, in 2015, 86.8% of people ages 18 or older, they reported that they drank alcohol at some point in their lifetime. That's, That's right, Ryan. And in 2015, 24.6% of people ages 18 and older reported that they were engaged in binge drinking in the past month. Which is which is fact. That's a lot of binge That's drinking for underage illegal, people. Very illegal stuff. <laughs> going nearly on. 80. This is a, take it down a notch. Nearly 88,000 people die from alcohol-related causes annually, making it the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. It's huge. <laughs> it's it's huge. It's, I'll tell you, I know something huge. about huge. We're gonna build a wall to keep out all the illegal alcohol. <laughs> it's gonna be huge. Be- beautiful wall. I have the best. Beautiful. I have the best alcohol. <laughs> Ryan, I got. <laughs> I've got great words. I got the best words. <laughs> the best. Ryan, I have a fun fact for you. You want to know let's, what it is? Yeah, let's hear it. Did you know that the national anthem of the United States, that's actually called the Star Spangled Banner, for all you who didn't know. It was written to the tune of a drinking song. It was it was a Brit a British drinking song actually. Well, you want to hear an even more interesting American political fact for you? I couldn't say a single thing I'd rather hear. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, the legend, the man, the myth. He's not a myth, but the legend. He held his own liquor license and operated and owned multiple taverns. Which is that's how he amazing. won the election. He just gave out it's free <laughs> drinks to everybody. Probably. Like, yeah, Abe. Probably. You got a fact there? I've got one, actually. Do you want to know it? Yeah. The world's oldest recorded recipe is a uh, 4,000 years old, and it's a recipe for beer. That's the oldest recipe ever for anything. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a cool one for you. There are, yeah. thir- there are 13 mil-, mil... Oh, man. Redo that. Oh, you're really doing it. There you go. <laughs> there, are, there are 13 minerals that are essential for human life, and all of them are found in alcohol. Does that mean what? that alcohol is basically a human? baby you oh interesting we'll get into that <laughs> in, a, in a future episode did you know that actually of all the things that happened in 1964 this may have been the most intriguing in 1964 congress declared bourbon to be the official spirit of the united states of america i don't even i honestly don't even know what that means but that's cool here's a little it's just you put on a, a, on a fun fact card Here's a little dinghy I got for you guys. Oh, um, a little a little piece of culture that alcohol is involved in. One of Edgar Allan Poe's final poems. Obviously, oh, he yes. died of basically disease and poems. alcohol poisoning. Get it? Poem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, one, oh, of last, one of Poe's last poems was titled Lines on Ale, published in 1848. It goes as follows. Filled with mingled cream and amber, I will drain that glass again. Such hilarious visions clamber through the chamber of my brain. Quaintest thoughts, queerest fancies, come to life and fade away. What care I how time advances, I am drinking ale today. <laughs> That's wow. Great. Was that actually a recording of Edgar Allan Poe? Yeah. That was incredible. <laughs> vintage vintage Poe right there. That's um, 100. <laughs> That's right off the record. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So those are that's the numbers. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. But uh to dive into But you know what I don't enjoy? <laughs> what is that? Binge drinking, Ryan. Well, Binge drinking and abstinence are both equally wrong. Wait. That's kind of in some eyes I think that's the case. I personally 
kind of believe that. And um, talk about a little bit in an interview you're here in a couple minutes. But there is a perception that binge drinking is bad, which I think most people can agree. Binge drinking is not really a good thing. But also abstinence isn't Probably necessarily not. a good thing. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, like abstinence when it comes to drinking is the best thing because you shouldn't ever drink alcohol. It's bad for you. But that's not totally true. I would, I would debate that abstinence can be offensive and uh, wrong in certain social settings. I don't know. I, I, you'll hear Trevor who I interview. You'll hear him talk about it in a little bit. Holding hands with Trevor. Is that a song? It's a good song. You, it's a good song. I've yeah, never it's, heard it's a, it's a song. Do we now owe money to a big music industry? No, <laughs> I don't think I said enough of it. I don't think our podcast not very is very well known. I don't think, I don't think we're very well known either. I don't know nah. if anyone will. We're like the only ones listening to this. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to talk with you really quick about the drinking age. This is something I'm a little bit passionate about. Passionate. Um, I'm passionate about it because it's very frustrating. So I'm going to just throw out some more numbers for you here. At the age of 16, you can have a part-time job and you can operate a vehicle, a, a two-ton, I don't know how much a car weighs, but I'm just going to say a two-ton. a couple tons. Yeah, a couple tons of steel that can fly at 120 miles an hour and murder multiple, multiple people. You can operate that at age 16. At age 18, only two years later, you're allowed to vote in an election for an elected official, including the president of the United States. You can, yeah, like you Donald Trump. You can vote for Donald you Trump. Have, I have the ability 18. to basically end the world by voting for the yeah. wrong policy if I chose to. You He'll can have also, the nuclear code, you guys. Seriously, like, <laughs> you got to understand. Please. Please. We'll, save, we'll save that for another time. But also, <laughs> at, age, at age 18, you can buy any tobacco product. You can buy any pornographic material. Levi. <laughs> what? <laughs> You can work a full-time job. <laughs> you can be tried as an adult in court, which means you can go to prison for life and be sentenced to death. All you great can, things. You can own a gun. And the biggest one, you can serve in the military, fight for our country, and put your life on the line for our country. But not until you are 21 years no, old. No, no, no. Can you drink? No, no, that's no. that's the one advantage that you get three now, years we'll, we'll after let you, We'll let you drive the Humvee. We'll let you get blown up by the... <laughs> minds but god help me right if i see you <laughs> with a bottle of gin you're out of here sonny we'll build a wall That's kick, kick them out no, we'll build I'll, a wall in the middle east <laughs> like how we just so many donald trump jokes. but uh yeah no historically it, ha- it doesn't even really make any sense um in it, it the law was passed in 1984 that it, it moved the drinking age back to 21 the federal government basically told the state government that um, you are allowed to choose your drinking age. That's a state. That's a state law. But if you choose to have it under twenty-one, we will not fund your highways anymore. So every state's like, well, shit, we don't Shady. have the money for that. So they all funded, or they all went along with it and moved the drinking age to twenty-one. So they kind of bullied the states into that. But uh, at, at, at the same time, statistically. The changing the drinking age didn't really help. The idea be- behind it was like, oh, well, we're going to drop it – or sorry, we're going to raise it from 18 to 21 because there's a lot of accidents. It's higher accident rates, and we think that if we make you at a more responsible age, it'll be less accidents. Sure, because 21-year-olds well, are so responsible. <laughs> right. While that did, it worked very, very low amount. Um, the the I will say that the car accident rate due to like drinking and driving, that dropped a, a decent amount, but um, at the same time – uh, alcoholism and death by alcohol use, that all went up 
like alcohol related deaths all went up because when you take away something from a group of people, they're more inclined to not only do it more, but to, to binge it. And I think that happened. And then that led to a lot more alcoholism and problems in the US. And I always talk about that a little bit with uh, this interview I did with Trevor. Trevor is a good friend of mine. Um, he teaches a class called Alcohol in the Christian Tradition. He's writing his thesis currently on alcohol and its role in our lives. And it's super interesting. Um, so he's got a lot to, a lot of interesting and cool things to say on that. So uh, check that out now. Take a take that. Listen to Trevor. I don't know. Just listen. So I'm sitting here with Mr. Trevor Gunlock. Trevor, how are you doing? Hey, Ryan, doing well. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on the show. The reason I have Trevor on the show is because he studies alcohol, <laughs> not just specifically that. If you want to explain um, kind of what you do and why you do it. Yeah, you know, studying alcohol is not just a fancy way of saying I'm an alcoholic. So I just want to <laughs> clarify yeah, that from not. the start. Thank you for that, Ryan. I appreciate <laughs> that. But... Yeah, so I'm currently working on my master's degree in theological studies uh, here at the University of Dayton, mm -hmm. and I have a background in theology and philosophy, uh, especially virtue ethics, okay. ethical ethical theology. So when it comes down to studying ethics, I like to talk about ethics as our ordinary day-to-day -day encounters. And for most people, especially college students, alcohol is a component of that. Alcohol is sure. a great aspect of daily college life, and especially on the weekends. So I thought, <laughs> well, why don't we study this? Why don't we take an academic approach mm -hmm. and look at alcohol through the lens of ethics specifically through the lens of the Catholic Church, through Catholic social teaching, because no one likes a good beer like a Catholic, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, so, and now you teach a class, uh, Alcohol and the Tradition Faith, is that what it's called? Yeah, uh, it's Alcohol and Christianity, or okay. Alcohol in the Christian Tradition, okay. learning how to celebrate. So I really like to emphasize the fact that we need to learn how to celebrate. We don't really know how to celebrate right, well. Right. And how, how about we try and learn how to do it. So what misconceptions surrounding alcohol, I guess, and sort of the stigma that surrounds it, what misconceptions do you find? Or could you clarify for us? Yeah, I love that idea. It ties in a lot to Catholic social thought of instruct yeah. the ignorant. And I don't know if the ignorant are those who have had too much alcohol or if we actually become less ignorant when we drink, but that's a conversation <laughs> yeah. for another day. Wow. Uh, but you mentioned misconceptions. And I would say, I think... <clears throat> Rather than looking at misconceptions, it's just a misuse yeah. and, to some extent, an abuse of alcohol. And it's not misconceiving it. It might be misconceiving that, hey, natural light isn't the only beer out there. Yeah. I think that's a big yeah. misconception of, well, uh, I'm in college. I have no money or I have a lot and I don't know how to use it. <laughs> and I see what everyone else is drinking and the culture. And instead of going for a delicious higher quality alcohol that might cost a little bit more. Yeah. I'm going to stick with the equivalent of children's finger paint. <laughs> it's like saying, wow, here's a Picasso. Here's a finger painting. And <laughs> it's not saying that they're ignorant to that. It's right. just that they don't know that the other exists. So I think that's the biggest misconception is that people don't know that there's better forms of alcohol out there. Right. And they don't know that there is actually an art of brewing, an art of distilling, and people don't know that there's actually an art of celebrating. There's a better way to celebrate with friends. And most people yeah. haven't 
tried that before. I think it's very black and white where the other people think, oh, you should never drink and drinking's always wrong or you can't drink and it's a good thing. You know what I mean? I, I feel like there's a middle ground to that. Yeah. Good question. I think a good disclaimer I always throw out there is I never am a proponent for underage drinking. I just have simply have to say that, but then also but, recognizing, okay, we're on a college campus. Yeah. It's happening. <laughs> so then we have to ask the question, okay, when alcohol is present, is there such thing as a positive drinking experience? And I would say, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In my undergrad experience, I went from binge drinking and partying a lot my freshman and early sophomore year to growing closer in friendship with a friend who was my wingman during those years. Nice. But we started seeing, oh, this is unfulfilling. But what is fulfilling is we can still have alcohol present in our life, but it's how we carry ourselves when it's there. It's are we appreciating the craft? We actually started brewing our own beer. That's so it's awesome. really hard to abuse alcohol when you're the one paying for it and making yeah. it and fermenting <laughs> right. it and smelling the yeast farts all day long in your house. <laughs> you have to sit there and you have to appreciate those yeast farts. Oh, you man. Can't just let them go away. <laughs> Nothing like a good yeast fart, I'm telling you. But, so it's harder to abuse something when you know the process that goes into it. And then we started realizing that it brought our friends together. It wasn't necessary for us to get together like some friend groups. But when it was there, it was a natural adhesive. Right. And it was delicious also. It was, yeah. So it's like something you can bond over. It's mm -hmm. for camaraderie. The Catholic Church uses wine um, mm -hmm. during their Mass, and uh, it's played a role in religion. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of stigma around alcohol with people that practice faith. And I, I think a lot of people believe that you can't um, be virtuous and also mm -hmm. consume alcohol. But mm -hmm. I think there's. Uh, you've, I've heard you talk about tolerance and temperance before mm -hmm. and, and contrasted those two things. And um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that just briefly, how it's okay for you to drink alcohol um, in certain ways, I guess, if you're, if you're a religious person in your faith. Yeah, and I always like to look at the, the kind of the pecking order of how we should decide upon making decisions. And the major one is, does this help me grow closer with God? Uh-huh. And if we can use that lens, but that's sometimes difficult. Then we get in the gray of like, well, sometimes, yeah, but sometimes not. Mm -hmm. And alcohol falls into that gray zone. And I'm always weary of any ethics system that tries to make things super black and white. Because most of our lives as humans aren't black and white. No, we no. live in the gray. <laughs> so then it's like, okay, does this help me grow closer to God? Harder to discern. Does this help me grow closer to the people around me? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, if that person is blacked out or I'm blacked out, we're not growing closer together. So maybe that's an extreme that I'm going to avoid. Right. But then, okay, maybe the social setting, alcohol's provided here and it's a gift and we're celebrating. Oh, in this setting, maybe yes. But then also in a setting where it would be completely out of place to try and force it would be just as wrong as it would be in the case when someone's blacked out. Right. So we have to really, as I mentioned earlier, work on becoming artists of celebrating. And becoming an artist of celebrating means learning how to discern when it's best to have alcohol present and also in what way do we use it and mm -hmm. does it help us grow closer to god and others so i think that according to our church tradition there's ways to do that right right oh it's a, that's fascinating stuff mm -hmm. um i wanted to ask you one more question and then we can wrap it up but i wanted to ask you about the prohibition we mentioned that mm -hmm. a little bit earlier and why it didn't work um mm -hmm. why it only lasted 13 years and uh it caused so much controversy and problem and violence and crime in america when it happened 
um, if you have any kind of views on that. Yeah, and I think it just comes down to our human nature of you tell some, if you ever teach children, you'll learn this very quickly. If you tell them not to do something, they're going to A, want to do it more, and B, when they do it, they're going to do it much worse because yeah. there's no control to it. And I think that's really what happened is with the speakeasies and all the other uh, very behind closed doors responses is this very irresponsible response. It said, it's kind of the forbidden fruit idea that yeah. when you're not allowed to have something, you want it even more. So that really increased the rate of binge drinking then. And even with the recent, in the 80s, of the drinking age being decreased from 21, or being increased, sorry, from 18 to 21, there is a massive influx of binge drinking. Mm -hmm. And there's a great correlation between those two of, you tell people that they're not allowed to do it, or not allowed to at a certain age, they'll do it. And when they do it, it's behind a closed door yeah. and in a way that's really unhealthy. But then oftentimes it doesn't lead to fulfilling experiences. Right. They see it as I'm going to drink to get drunk because I have the chance to instead of I'm going to drink because I'm allowed to. And I want this to be fulfilling. I want to grow closer to God. I want to grow closer to others. Just throwing this one out there. In your class, you do a beer of the week. Do you have oh. for any of the of age listeners, 21 or older, in the United States at least, Yeah. Um, do you have a beer that you would recommend Oh man, that's a that's a good question. You got me on the spot here. Yeah. Well, within the past week, I tried Pabst Brewing Company. I'm a I'm a nice. I'm from Milwaukee, so I have to stick with Pabst Blue Ribbon, even though it's not the most artsy beer. It's right. You gotta stick to the name. <laughs> but they started using an old recipe of theirs to make a an ale that has a bit of hop to it, and it's called Tankard. Uh, it's not very smooth. It's not very balanced. <laughs> it's nothing to write home about. But it's just fun to say that you've had a different brew beer brewed by Pabst. That's cool. Yeah, but other than that, oh, I can't really think of any ones I've had too recently. Well, St. Patrick's Day. So how about a nice Irish Red, hey. the Conway Irish Red by Great Lakes Brewing Company in Cleveland. You right. got a little local action, you got a little <laughs> holiday action with some of the cold weather around in the corner, but it's good. All right. Well, thank you very much, Trevor. Yeah, thank you. That's, that's it. Trevor, Trevor Gunlock, everybody. That was a fantastic interview. Thank you very much, Mr. Trevor what a Gunlock. Great guy. An he amazing is, person. And uh, quite the interview. Interesting dude. Thank you so much again. Uh, we're going to be right back to talk about the prohibition after this quick word from our sponsor. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by the Marine Corps. Special thanks to Corporal Johnson, Private Jenkins, and of course, John Cena! He's gonna get in the ring and put boots to asses this Are weekend! Are you kidding me right now? WWE Are you kidding me right now? I can't even handle this. I can't handle this. Available right now at a low price of only $39.99. Hey, Levi. Hey, Ryan. It's time for a history lesson. Awesome. Back in 1920, the Prohibition happened. And... Jeez. It was, yeah, to be blunt, it uh, lasted 13 years, 1920, 1933. People that were... So there are two kinds of people. You had the dries and the wets. The dries were people that didn't drink, obviously, and the wets... <laughs> the wets? Well, the wets were the drinkers. And not necessarily everybody that drank was a wet, but you could be you could be absent and still be a wet and be supportive. It 
just to throw out there, though, a lot of the very, uh, very religious people of the day and the um, what KK. Is the, what is the, the, <laughs> you tie in like some the, old the religious people of the day. Why do people, if you watch man, last man on earth, <laughs> films from the 1950s, everybody talks like that. Yeah, yeah. They have the same microphone. Say, <laughs> no, that's just that was how they talked. No, uh, yeah, people, the KKK. Also was in support of the prohibition. Um, just very weird, weird time in history. They thought that alcohol was bad and they wanted to get rid of it from society. And so the federal government did just that. And because if you should go with anyone's beliefs, it's the Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> of course. <clears throat> Great work, everybody. David Great Duke. No, uh, Jeez. <laughs> no, but... Uh, <laughs> So that that was a thing that happened, and, and they outlawed alcohol. You could not sell it. You could not drink it. You could not own it. There could not be alcohol. So that was a big deal in America at the time. And people literally took barrels of alcohol. They thought there was a group of the, the the dries. They were a big group of people that were like, oh, yeah, this is a huge victory for America. So they literally found those big kegs and barrels of alcohol, brought them to the streets with sledgehammers, and started smashing <laughs> them. It's so sad. You can watch a video of it, and it's just pouring down the drains in the not gutter of the we're gonna start some speakeasies, hide it in the pianos. Yeah, exactly. So the speakeasies started, um, and they got away with it. And eventually, it came back after 1933 when everyone was like, Wow, we've been through a world war, um, and there's a depression right now. Can we please just have our beer? <laughs> so, so we got that back. All right, fine, but following following the prohibition. Uh, there were very few breweries left because they were all outlawed, so they lost their money and they couldn't restart. So there were only a few left in the U.S., which is why that'll do it. For so long, um, there were so few big beer names like Miller and Budweiser and such. Uh, but today we're starting to see a slow return to the classic varieties. Because back before the prohibition, there were thousands of different breweries and so many different beers and options. And, and not that there aren't now, but they're just not as well known. We only have those big big companies as giant industries and so uh, now we're starting to see comebacks and there's a lot more um you know there's a, there's a lot more options and more craft do think, beers do you think if they had prohibition again today the nfl would go out of business due to lack of ads <laughs> or nascar <laughs> or like any sport no i don't think so but um it would not definitely would not work i don't think they could ever pull off a prohibition again we can that'd be nuts yeah <laughs> Unless Trump said it, then everyone would be like, yeah, woo! Do yeah, it. Do whatever he says. He's orange. He says, he says the best things. He's got the biggest hands. The He's biggest. Got, he has, I have the best words. <laughs> uh, if you're a Trump supporter, I'm sorry, but you probably shouldn't listen to our show because we crack a lot of what these are you jokes. Doing? Anyways, wine connoisseurs, binge drinkers, the social user, the pong champions, abstainers, the hipsters of hops, alcoholics, and craft daddies. <laughs> Alcohol has been a significant part of our history, culture, art, religion, and society longer than anyone could comprehend. It's important that we understand its origin and its effects, because at the end of the day, it's not whether or not we choose to drink, but rather how we choose to drink. Instead of one's tolerance, consider their temperance. Cheers. Lucidity. I'll say thanks for listening to this episode of Lucidity. Our website, where you can find this episode and all our episodes, <laughs> along with Buttercup and our social media links and extra information, is luciditypodcast.com. See? Yeah, say, we'll be back next Tuesday, say, with a new episode where we'll be talking about climate change and global warming. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's a serious episode. Check that one out. It's very Check interesting. Out, if you like the show, hit the subscribe button. Let us know how we're doing on iTunes. Leave a review. Say five stars, five stars, buttercup. Round the line, five stars. There we go. <laughs> Lucidity is written by Buttercup and produced by Buttercup's nephew. <laughs> Our theme song is provided by George Butterscup Watsky. Additional music in this episode was provided by ButtercupSound.com. We'll see you next week on Lucidity. Cheers, say cheers. Cheers.